Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. Sometimes, when I was younger especially, I would find something like a movie or TV show and really enjoy it, but then find out that I was alone in seeing it. None of my friends had seen it, I knew my family hadn't seen it, and so I would try to be a cheerleader for whatever it was. The problem was that, say you saw a movie on the big screen, the window between when the movie would come out on home video could be large, especially if the movie wasn't very popular. Although in some instances, it would show up and that would help a lot in trying to convince people because they needed to see the thing that you were being all positive about. I didn't really have much of a soapbox to convince people until I started working at a video store. Now, I'm just a kid. I don't know anything. But I got a job, pretty much a minimum wage job, renting videos to people, and then eventually selling videos to people. It's at this point that I realized that people were taking my opinion more seriously. And I could give people suggestions, or they would even come in and ask for suggestions, expecting me to know what they might want to watch. And I paid attention to my fellow co-workers who were better at this, until I got the hang of it and realized that I could push what I liked. So when the movie Matinee came out in 1993, and I saw the trailer for it, I thought, this is a movie I would like to see. And I went to see it by myself and was thrilled. I went home, I told my mother about it, said she should see it, tried to tell my sisters about it, they weren't interested. None of my friends were. The people who were interested in it were the people I worked at the video store with. Two of them had seen it, and they both liked it. And so I remember telling them, it'll be great to share this when it comes out on home video with people. And that's exactly what we started doing. We would do this for lots of different videos, things that we wanted to champion. Matinee might not have done well at the box office, but it made fans, and those fans could be quite passionate. I was one of those fans, and if you came into the video store I worked at, and you were looking for something a little different tonight, a comedy that you hadn't seen or heard of before, this is often the movie I would suggest. We live in an interesting world where referrals are easy to find online, suggestions for what you want, there are algorithms. But before those algorithms, there were people like me telling you that you should watch Matinee. The thing is, I didn't really care what you liked. All I knew is that I thought it was a good movie, and I wanted more people to see it. And I think a lot of them did see it, and they did like it. There was no algorithm needed. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about that movie that I tried to champion back at the video store, Matinee. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about the cast, its release, reception, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Matinee is a 1993 comedy directed by the great Joe Dante. It's about a filmmaker in the style of William Castle, and I'll tell you a little bit about William Castle in a bit, who's bringing his movie to the masses during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That is when we almost had World War III. 
It starred a very large cast, including John Goodman, Kathy Moriarty, Simon Fenton, Lisa Jacob, and Omri Katz. William Castle, who the film is based upon, although John Goodman does not play a character named William Castle. His character's name is Lawrence Woolsey. Castle was born in 1914. He passed away in 1977. He was a director, producer, actor, screenwriter. He had a talent for promotion, and he would take this talent of promotion and supplement it with some skill in filmmaking, becoming a director. He had a talent for efficiently making films, and so he could make B-movies and stick to the budget. That's pretty good in Hollywood. Eventually, he would start making his own films, directing thrillers and producing movies that were big hits, movies like Rosemary's Baby. But I think what people would remember him for were his gimmicks. For example, he would make a film, and when you would come to the theater, you would get a certificate for a life insurance policy, because you were going to be so scared in this movie that if you died of fright, your family would get $1,000. And then he would put nurses in the lobby, and he would have hearses parked outside to carry all the dead people away. Of course, nobody ever died, but it won people over. He also started coming up with clever names for film gimmicks like Emerjo, where you would be watching House on Haunted Hill and a skeleton would be in the movie and then the skeleton would be in the theater. Basically a skeleton with lights in its eyes on a wire. Or one of my favorite movies of his that I did a podcast on was The Tingler which was filmed in Percepto. The creature in the movie attaches itself to the spinal cord of humans, and it's activated when people are scared. They would put devices that would buzz and vibrate the seats, and then they would turn them on when people were in the theater, giving you a bit of a jolt. And he would do this with other films as well. He would come up with all sorts of different things like that, which made him not just a successful filmmaker to some extent, but also a character in his own right. And that's why years later, people would be inspired to make a movie about him. According to what I read online, at the height of his popularity, he had a fan club with a quarter of a million members. That's not bad. Before I go into the deeper overview of the film, I'd like to read from the box. I got it here. This is the MCA Universal home video release from 1993. has John Goodman on the front, who plays Lawrence Wilsey. Great image of the theater, people running out of it, a nuclear bomb in the background. Really great front cover. And then on the back, we have three images. John Goodman again. We get to see the theater with the kids in it. And then we get a nice group shot of the kids from the film. So we get a little review from Roger Ebert, a delightful comedy and one of the most charming movies in a long time. I agree with that. So let's just read what we have here. John Goodman is at his uproarious best as the gregarious creator of sci-fi thrillers circa 1962, who brings his unique brand of showmanship to the unsuspecting residents of Key West, Florida. 15-year-old fan Gene Loomis, played by Simon Fenton, can't wait for the arrival of filmmaker Lawrence Woolsey, Goodman, who is in town to premiere his latest offering of atomic power gone berserk, Mant. But the absurd vision of Woolsey's tale takes on a sudden urgency as the Cuban Missile Crisis places the real threat of atomic horror just 90 miles off the coast. With the help of Gene and his high school friends, along with Woolsey's leading lady, Ruth, played by Kathy Moriarty, the master showman gives Key West a premiere they'll never forget. The screen explodes in a Tomovision. The theater rocks in spine-tingling rumble-rama, and a local hood threatens to run off with Woolsey's profits. It all seems fitting in this entertaining tale of backyard bomb shelters, missile attack drills, and innocence clouded by the threat of nuclear destruction. 
color, one hour, 39 minutes, rated PG. Digitally recorded, and it has closed captions. Not bad. It definitely appealed to the more nostalgic-prone people who are coming to rent movies, and also the ones who might go see it in the theater. So as I said, this takes place in Key West, Florida, and Gene Loomis and his younger brother, Dennis, and they live on a military base with their mother, Anne, and their father is away. He's in the U.S. Navy. They go to a local theater, and they see a promo for a limited engagement of Lawrence Woolsey's new horror film, Mant, which, as you might guess, is about a man-ant. And Woolsey is supposed to be there in person the following Saturday. The backdrop we get when the kids get home is that the Cuban Missile Crisis is happening. We're learning that the Soviets have been putting missiles in Cuba, and President Kennedy is going to respond. It's at this point that Woolsey and his girlfriend, Ruth Cordray, played by Moriarty, show up. And so now you have the backdrop for what is happening. The premiere of this movie, which Gene Loomis is very excited about, and yet there's all this other stuff going on. We get some fun little details. Woolsey has brought two actors with him to pretend to be outraged citizens who want man to not be shown. Now, they add extra levels to this with the kids going to school, and there's young romance starting to happen. And we meet Sandra. We also meet another girl at school, Sherry. But there's also this other more violent character, Harvey Starkweather, who is Sherry's ex-boyfriend. Now, Gene has a best friend, Stan, and Stan has asked Sherry out, but he backs out because, frankly, Harvey is terrifying. Woolsey is going to be using Rumble Rama in the theater. He meets Gene. Everybody's going to come to the theater. The kids are going to go on dates. Harvey's going to show up. He's going to steal the money from the theater and kidnap Sherry. The Rumble Rama equipment is way too strong, and its vibration is set so high that the balcony in the theater starts to collapse. They fool people into thinking there's an atomic bomb happening to get everybody out to safety. At the end, Woolsey and Ruth, Moriarty's character, leave to go to Cleveland. They say goodbye to the kids, and helicopters fly in over the beaches, and we believe that Gene's father's coming back and that we have a happy ending. Are you a fan of the Retro's podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retroist Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. The film was written by two people, although one person just gets a story by credit, which is sort of controversial, and that is Jericho Stone. Stone worked on two comedy films. This film, Matinee, and the Dan Aykroyd film, My Stepmother is an Alien. Now, Jericho Stone had written these films to be very different than what we see on screen. According to Dante, the original version of this film was set in an old movie theater with the movie Mance showing, so that comes in. And the whole theater is a combination of horror movies of the time. So you have a vampire projectionist, and the people taking tickets are terrifying. Then at the end, the kids, all grown up, come back to the theater for a reunion, only to discover it has become a video store. Time has moved on. A very different film, and it would be rewritten by Charles Stephen Haas to be almost unrecognizable from that original screenplay, according to sources. But Stone wasn't happy about this, didn't like that he received only story credit. He would sue to get his name on the screenplay, but ultimately that would fail. I have to say, his original story sounds a lot like a Stephen King story. I would watch that movie too. Charles Stephen Haas was born in 1952. He's a screenwriter and novelist. Got his start back in 1979 with Over the Edge. 
and he would work on Matinee, Gremlins 2, Martians Go Home. He also worked with Joe Dante on a script for a Chuck Jones film at Warner Brothers that would have been set in the 30s called Termite Terrace. Sadly, that never happened, and instead Warner Brothers chose to make Space Jam. I've seen Space Jam, it's fine, but boy would I have preferred Termite Terrace. The film was directed by Joseph James Dante Jr., better known as Joe Dante. Dante was born in 1946. He's a filmmaker, editor, extraordinaire, occasional actor, and producer. He's probably best known for working on Gremlins and Gremlins 2, The New Batch. But he's worked on a lot of movies that I really like, including Piranha, The Howling, Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs, and Small Soldiers. Dante was born in Morristown, New Jersey, but grew up in the nearby town of Livingston, New Jersey. Dante, at an early age, was very interested in cartoons, and he liked going to the movies, and he went to the Philadelphia College of Art before starting a filmmaking apprenticeship as a trailer editor for Roger Corman. And Dante is a very skilled editor. He would make a feature film debut in 1978 with Piranha, which would become a very big hit, and from there he would go on to make lots of great things. According to Dante, it wasn't easy to get money for this film. There's a quote from him online that said, Matinee got made through a fluke. The company that was paying for us went out of business and didn't have any money. Universal, which was the distributor, had put in a little money, and we went to them and begged them to buy into the whole movie. And to their everlasting sorrow, they went ahead and did it. They started filming in April of 1992 in and around Florida. That included the towns of Key West, Maitland, and Cocoa. Three schools in Florida were combined to form Gene's school. Domerick Elementary was used for the exteriors and lobby. Maitland Middle School was used for the cafeteria. And Winter Park High School was used for the classroom and hallways. The movie theater used for the exterior shots was the Key West Strand Theater, which is located in Cocoa, Florida. That theater got its start as the Aladdin Theater in 1924, and then in the 40s it became the State Theater, and it is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The marquee that you see in the film wasn't actually a part of the movie theater that was built just for the theater and was removed afterwards. So if you go down looking for the theater you see in this movie, you won't find the exact one, but it's still the one. A lot of the interior shots were done at Universal Studios Florida, and the street scenes were actually in California, shot in Oxnard. Production started on April 13, 1992, and ended on June 19, 1992. So, pretty fast filming. One of the fun things that's in this film is you have little movies within the movie, parodies of real movies, and Joe Dante does a great job with these. First of all, you have Mant, which is a 1950s-style film about radioactivity and mad science. And you actually do get to see scenes from this, and it's done really well. If they did a whole Mant movie, I would watch it. More impressively to me is the other movie we get to see a little bit of, The Shook Up Shopping Cart, which is a parody of Disney films of the time, where you have an anthropomorphic shopping cart, much like you would have Herbie the Love Bug. This shopping cart is intelligent, and it tries to help, and it's all very corny and wonderful. And interestingly enough, that film that's on screen for not very long has Naomi Watts in a very early role. She plays the niece of the man who had been transformed into a shopping cart. Just saying that sentence makes me really happy. He came to the ends of the earth. Aren't you that guy that makes him scary movies? Just as the earth was about to end. The country is on red alert. What a perfect time to open a new horror movie. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. 
looks so real. From the director of Gremlins. Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Rated PG. Starts Friday, January 29th at theaters everywhere. So let's go a little bit into the cast. Obviously, like a lot of films, there's a lot of people. We'll talk about some of the main cast, and then I'll just go through the list of everybody else who's in the film. John Goodman played Lawrence Woolsey. John Stephen Goodman was born in 1952. While he got his start in film, he became much more well-known for his role in Roseanne, the television series. But even while he was doing that, he continued to make movies, collaborating often with the Coen brothers in movies like Raising Arizona, The Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and many others. He would also be in movies like Always, Matinee, King Ralph, The Flintstones, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and the list goes on. Still working in both TV and film today, he's maybe even more popular than he's ever been, and always a joy to watch. I love his work in Revenge of the Nerds. Not a big role, but he does a lot with it. The film was lucky to get Kathy Moriarty in this film as Ruth Corday. Moriarty was born in 1960. She's been working for half a century, born and raised in New York City. She made her acting debut in a pretty big movie, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull, where she played opposite Robert De Niro. And she would get nominations and awards for that, and a lot of people consider that one of the best movies ever made. She has worked with directors like Martin Scorsese, Joe Dante, James Mangold. While she can do drama, she also did quite a lot of comedies over the years, although sometimes she played the heavy. She's in Kindergarten Cop, Soap Dish, Analyze That, and many others. There's a stat that says she has appeared in films that have made over a billion dollars collectively, so not bad. She's also done work on television, just a really talented person, and she plays well against Goodman. Simon Fenton played Gene Loomis. Fenton was born in 1976, English actor, appeared in films and television. I think to American audiences, they're going to know him best for maybe matinee, but he also appeared in the TV series Band of Brothers. Omri Katz played Stan. Katz is a retired actor, appeared on TV shows like Dallas and Erie, Indiana. In movies, he was in Matinee and Hocus Pocus. I think he's probably best known for Hocus Pocus. There's a lot of very hardcore Hocus Pocus fans out there. Kelly Martin played Sherry, born in 1975. She's probably best known for her work in Life Goes On, where she played Becca Thatcher, and on ER, where she played Lucy Knight. But if you are a Haley Dean mystery TV film fan, she plays Haley Dean in that series. She has worked consistently since the 80s. Quite a career. Lisa Jacob was born in 1978, a retired actor, now a writer and yoga teacher, probably best known for her role as Lilia Hillard in Mrs. Doubtfire and as Alicia Case in Independence Day. Rounding out the cast, there's a lot of people, but I wanted to include two character actors that Joe Dante loves to put in his films. Robert Picardo played Howard, the theater manager. Robert Alfonso Picardo was born in 1953, has appeared in lots of television shows and films, but he's definitely best known for his role as the Doctor in Star Trek Voyager. A great role. He will always be the Doctor to me. And Dick Miller, who is a great character actor, appeared in, I think, all of Joe Dante's films, played Herb Denning, one of Woolsey's guys. Richard Miller. Dick Miller was born in 1928, passed away in 2019. Character actor who appeared in over 180 films, many of them produced by Roger Corman, but other people like to work with him, including Joe Dante, Martin Scorsese, and James Cameron. Loved to play an everyman. You might have seen him in Gremlins, Gremlins 2, Piranha, 
as I'm saying, all the films that Joe Dante did. He was also in Night of the Creeps, The Terminator. The list goes on. Big fan. Rounding out the cast, and I hate to blow through these people, we have Belinda Belaski playing Stan's mom, John Sayles, the director, in a cameo as Bob, David Clennon as Jack, James Villamare as Harvey Starkweather. Does a pretty good job in that role. Jesse White is Mr. Spectre. Jesse Lee plays Dennis Loomis, the younger brother. And Lucinda Jenny played Anne Loomis. All of these people are very talented, but there's just so many of them. Everyone on my list loves movies. That's why I go to Suncoast. They have the classics. Sci-fi, action thrillers, holiday movies. At Suncoast, I got something for everyone. And uh, one thing for myself. There are over 10,000 great movie gifts at Suncoast, like Cliffhanger, starring Sylvester Stallone, the action-adventure Speed, starring Keanu Reeves, and the action-packed epic Gettysburg. These and hundreds of other titles are on sale now at Suncoast. The music in the film is excellent, and that is because they have an excellent person making the score for the film, and that is Jerry Goldsmith. What makes the film extra fun is that they include more music from old horror films in here that are reorchestrated. For example, they use the main title from The Son of Dracula and music from the movie Tarantula, Deadly Mantis, This Island Earth, and more and more. The album with the Jerry Goldsmith score was released on CD and cassette when it originally came out, and you can still pick them up very affordable. It has 10 tracks. You can also stream it online at YouTube and other sources. There was a special edition, enhanced version, released by Entrada that has 30 tracks on it. If you're a super fan, that's the one you want to pick up. Jerry Goldsmith was born in 1929, passed away in 2004. What a prolific person. If I were to say what he's best known for, it would be difficult, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say he is known for his work on Star Trek, and he composed the score for the first five films in the Star Trek franchise. And besides people who worked on the original music for the TV series, he's probably influenced Star Trek music more than anybody. He worked on the Rambo films, he worked on Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, The Omen, Alien, Poltergeist, L.A. Confidential, The Mummy, Mulan, just so many films. The list of directors that he collaborated with include Robert Wise, Otto Preminger, Howard Hawks, Richard Donner, Joe Dante, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, Michael Crichton, Paul Verhoeven. Just an amazing career. He was nominated for six Grammy Awards, five Primetime Emmys, nine Golden Globes, four British Academy Film Awards, and 18 Academy Awards. He would win in 1976 for The Omen. He should have 50. Another person who gets credited was the person who worked on a lot of the music from the earlier films, and that would be Dick Jacobs, who was born in 1918, passed away in 88. He was a conductor, arranger, music director. Not only did he work with movies, but he worked with popular music with artists like Buddy Holly, Bobby Darin, and Jackie Wilson. The film was released on January 29th, 1993. It had a budget of $13 million, and it made $9.5 million at the box office. But that's not from lack of love from people who saw the film. As I read the back of the box, Roger Ebert really liked this film. He gave it three and a half out of four stars, saying it gave a lot of big laughs, and he left with a big smile on his face. His partner, Gene Siskel, gave this quote and said, The boring title doesn't communicate the joy within this film, which I love. I think that's a great way to summarize this film. Even modern aggregator sites rate this film very high. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
lots of very high ratings for this film. It's hard to understand why it didn't do well. It could have been the title. It could also be the films that were out at the same time. And there were some pretty big films out at the time, like Aladdin, Scent of a Woman, A Few Good Men. But what was going on in my area at the time? I'm going to pull the paper out here. Printed this out so we can read it. Now, this is the 90s, and it gets kind of weird because they have changed my local paper, how they displayed film. You used to be able to look it up by theater, and they made this change that is actually pretty positive, I think, where they would list the movies that were out. Under that, they would show the theaters that those were playing at. So I got a whole list of movies that were out at the time, but I'd have to go through each one to show you exactly what was playing in my town at this point. I don't think this lasted forever, but I do remember this and thinking, oh, this is convenient. But now I read it and think, where's the joy in this? So I could look at Matinee and says, Joe Dante, Gremlins, directs a coming-of-age comedy set in Key West, Florida in 1962 in which four teens find friendship and, inside a grand theater, giant insects on screen. Out in the real world lies the very real danger of the Cuban Missile Crisis. That is quite a paragraph. It is playing in my town at the 8plex. One, two, three, four, five, six showings a day. I am pretty sure I saw it opening weekend. But there are some other great movies that were out this week, including Aladdin, as I mentioned. The Bodyguard, that was playing in my town. That was a huge hit, but that was playing at the Sixplex. Chaplin was out still at this point. Children of the Corn 2, A Few Good Men, Forever Young. Home Alone 2, still out there, but not playing in my area anymore. Leprechaun had come out. That wasn't playing in my town. The Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Nowhere to Run, was playing in my town. Toys with Robin Williams had been reduced to just one theater in my entire county at this point, playing with Under Siege and Trespass. So an interesting time for the movies. So I can look at some of the advertising they have in here. They haven't broken it down by screen, but I could see ads by size. And there's not a lot of full page or even half page ads. You have a bunch of quarter page ads. You have Tom Berenger's Sniper in a quarter page. You have Matinee gets a quarter page. Great ad. Two thumbs up. Matinee is a most imaginative, hilarious comedy. Body of Evidence, Nowhere to Run, and Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, all have quarter page ads. Everything else is just small. Now, often I have been talking about 80s films, and when I did, it was Lou Luminek usually talking about them in my home paper. At some point in the 90s, and I don't think this lasts forever, but they brought in Roger Ebert, basically just syndicated his work. So we get Roger Ebert in our hometown reviewing Matinee instead of our local reviewer doing it. It's nice. Roger Ebert was a big deal. I usually liked his reviews. He wrote nice stuff, but it wasn't the same. I feel like we lost something at that point. His headline for his review is America in its Innocence. Would that have been a better title for the film? I don't know. I'd kind of like to know what other people would think would be a better title for this film. What else is going on this week? Homicide, Life on the Street, and that feels like forever ago now, and they have an almost full-page review of it. Pretty positive. At the end, it says, it really is good television. Oh, here's an ad for Medieval Times. I wonder when Medieval Times opened. Oh, but I went there a couple of times when I was growing up. I loved going to Medieval Times. For legendary feasting, fighting, and fun. Cheering our nights, eating our chickens with our hands. We were living it up. Oh, they have an ad for LTs. This is, a, I think, a very North New Jersey thing. 
And I should tell you who LT is. LT is Lawrence Taylor from the New York Giants, football player. And LT had his own sports bar and restaurant on Route 17 in East Rutherford, which wasn't far from where the Giants played football. And it was usually packed on game days. People go in there, especially when it first opened. But they also had Sunday brunch where you get a complimentary glass of champagne. Kids get Shirley Temples. And they had a all-you-can-eat buffet for Super Bowl Sunday, which was coming up soon. Ooh, Bananas Comedy Club. Jeff Dunham and Peanut were going to be there. Paula Poundstone, Robert Wool, Gilbert Gottfried on February 26th, David Brenner. That's not bad. That's at the Holiday Inn. I went to this Bananas Comedy Club with my family at one point, and I was the youngest person there. The Great Bergen Passaic Toy and Train Show is happening this week, and I'm sure I wanted to go to that to see thousands of tantalizing toys and trains. I know I didn't go, but I really would have liked to. Not a bad look at the paper. Still, I would have preferred Lou Luminek be the reviewer. I'd like to know what Lou thought of this film. This is Medieval Time! Great, it was so action-packed. Like theme history. Fantastic. It's a great place to bring your kids. It was Crystal's birthday. Fabulous. The food was great. I'd definitely come back another time with a group of people. Great place to party. And disco after the show. My birthday and my parents' anniversary, and they decided to come here. Medieval Times Dinner and Tournament in New Jersey near the Meadowlands Sports Complex. Really, really cool. The film was released on home video pretty quickly, actually the same year that it came out. And the fans came out, if I remember right, to buy and rent it. I bought it at the time, watched it a bunch of times at home, and it would come out on DVD and eventually Blu-ray and then streaming. There are a lot of films like Matinee with very talented people put together by very talented people that somehow went under people's radar. And as time has moved on, when people do tend to look backwards, they generally are looking for the big headlines, the big films, the ones that people talk about a lot, the Star Wars of their times, the Indiana Jones. And yet there are some really wonderful, magical films just sitting out there by people like Joe Dante, starring someone who's very well known known still, like John Goodman. So if you're looking for a fun, nostalgic film about a very specific time in history that's crafted brilliantly, why not pick up Matinee? I think you're going to like it. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on social media. I'm at most major social media platforms at Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at Peachy Pixel 8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. If you'd like to support the Retroist, you could do so by giving the show a 5-star review wherever you downloaded it. It's really the 5-star reviews that help people find the show, and I really would appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further. The Retroist is on Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the greatest retro community on the internet. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Lawrence Wool Lawrence Woolsey. Lawrence Woolsey. 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 Lawrence Woolsey. That's an interesting word. Woolsey. All right, let's do this. Lawrence Wool <laughs> This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.